Extraordinary Terrestrials, Chapter 47, Constant Changes. It may have been a dream for all Maddie knew, but when her eyes finally opened after the explosion, she could have sworn she saw Karen stride into the newly formed crater. Almost mechanically, she vanished into the black gusts of smoke without looking back once. Maddie's ears were ringing. She'd been too close to the blast. There was no pain, none that she could tell. She was only vaguely aware of her tingling limbs. Then she became aware of a muffled voice, hands on either side of her face, Tripp's adorable face. She was so glad to see him. She smiled. He did not. His look was of utter concern as he scanned her body for injuries. Feeling somewhat more together in his company, Maddie tried to sit up and Tripp tried to stop her. He said something, his lips moving. He asked her a question. I can't hear you, she replied, hardly hearing herself. He asked again, then realized the futility. Maddie had a pretty good idea of what he was asking anyway. She glanced down at herself, her clothes sprayed with mud, a few scratches and mild burns, but her arms and legs could move. I think I'm okay, she hollered. She began to get up, despite Tripp's best efforts, and it was then that she noticed the blood on her shirt. Not from her chest, she realized, but running from her head. There was a stinging feeling on her temple. Maddie recalled that head wounds always bled a lot. It wasn't necessarily cause for concern. Standing with Tripp's arm as a belay, she felt dizzy for a moment. But the muffled noises and the spongy bog almost seemed to make things soft and safe. If she fell again, it wouldn't hurt. She glanced around, surveying the damage. A clarity began to creep into her ears. There were a few spots that were on fire. Trees and chunks of metal, some blueberry shrubs. Nothing like the bog fire a year ago. Maddie understood, glancing at the few needles that were sizzling up in flame, that this was the last of that fire. Then she spotted Reynolds beyond a clump of trees. She was crouched over an unconscious Heller. The ringing in Maddie's ears turned into a hissing, which turned into all sounds. Crackling fire, fearful voices, and actual hissing. The sound of the crater. She glanced back at it, unable to see beyond the opening but aware of its heat. There was water in there, water that was immediately becoming vapor. She looked back to Reynolds and Heller and began to walk with Tripp's assistance. Are you okay? She hollered. Hearing her, Reynolds looked up. She hadn't noticed them before. Yes, she replied equally loud. But he's not doing so good. I think something knocked him out. Maddie noted a large gash and a considerably larger amount of blood on the unconscious man's head. There are police on their way, 
Trip stated, then held up his hands. Don't move him, especially his neck. Make sure it's stabilized. All that fire, Reynolds mused, gazing at the crater with wide eyes. I can't imagine where all that fire could have come from. Maddie and Trip shared a look, both knowing exactly where the fire had come from. stitches and fabricated police statements later, Maddie and Tripp sat on the porch steps of Jack Karen's old cabin, watching the sunset. Tripp knew this was exactly how Jack had seen it while sitting with his good friend Heck day after day, drinking lemonade or tea or coffee. He turned to his own good friend, noting a peacefulness in her countenance. He hardly felt peaceful. There was an irresolution in Tripp's thoughts, a restlessness as if he were still trying to catch his breath after all the near misses he'd had that day. So, he finally said, What's all this about Karen leaving the bog to you? Blinking, Maddie looked to him as if woken from a dream. Yeah, she is, she replied. The whole thing, cabin included. I figure I'll fix it up if I can. It'll be a great place to stay while researching and such. Researching? Tripp had to admit he was pleased Maddie would have a permanent connection to the bog. It hopefully meant a permanent connection to him. She gave an excited grin. Well, there was another thing Karen or, or Heck was talking to me about during the car ride. Trip, have you ever considered that there are other places like Bloodsworth Bog? she asked, her voice trembling with the possibility. She looked away into the trees. He could practically see her thoughts spinning. It hadn't occurred to him. It hadn't occurred to me, he said. I mean, there are other wonders of the natural world, obviously, but I can't imagine anything like... I honestly never would have thought any of the things I've seen in this bog were possible if I hadn't seen them. Or felt them, he mused, thinking of Jack. Right, and we wouldn't have seen those things if you hadn't known where to look. Of course, Maddie continued, there's the right way to conduct research and the wrong way. We've seen the wrong way today. I think you mean the dangerous, destructive, and idiotic way, Tripp interrupted. But I think there is a lot to be learned from this place, Maddie insisted. She became silent, eyes shut basking in the remaining warmth of the sunlight. Tripp noticed the goosebumps on her legs and wondered if they were from the coolness of the shade or something else. He'd seen her get goosebumps when there wasn't a hint of cold air, and he'd learned that these were the kind of chills caused by a thought she was having. Tripp had wanted to see the bog objectively. He'd wanted it to be neither useful nor useless, simply extant, but Maddie had a point, and he realized he'd never seen the bog neutrally anyway. There had always been a curiosity, a need to know more about the place, a need to educate himself. And the bog had taught him many things about life and about death. The bog had a use, 
it could teach. I agree, he said. I can't say whether the key to saving the world or humanity can be found in this bog, but there is more to know, questions I never thought to even ask. Exactly, Maddie interrupted, nodding eagerly. It doesn't have any answers, but it raises the right questions, like what happens after we die? Everyone's so quick to assume that once you die, that's it. Nothing left. But but what really happens when you die? You don't just vanish into nothingness. Well, Tripp cut in, reminding her without having to say it. Maddie smirked. You know what I mean, she said. And you of all people know that Jack's body didn't vanish into nothingness. He's down there now, with Heck and Karen and whoever else. She pointed towards the tamaracks. And in here, she pointed behind her at the cabin door. And here, reaching over, she gently tapped Tripp's forehead. Her cool fingertip lingered there. Tripp thought of the many things he could have done in that moment, and did none of them. He looked away, internally beating himself up for his cowardice. True, he said. But he's fading. I can feel it. Jack isn't Jack anymore. He's becoming something else. Silence spread between the two friends. Tripp thought of Karen. They would never see her again. It dawned on him in that moment that she was gone for good. So, Maddie spread her hands, when a body decomposes, it doesn't just go away. It just turns into something else. This is simply how all things work. Nothing just... Things don't just simply become nothing after death. They rot, they undergo chemical changes, they become something else, or they feed something else, but they do not simply vanish. So why do we assume that a living thing's mind vanishes? Even a snuffed-out flame becomes smoke, which becomes part of the atmosphere. I think of that, and then I look at the world, and I no longer see all the deaths and endings... I just see changes. Constant changes. Tripp regarded his beautiful friend, thinking there was not a more suitable person to inherit the bog. This was followed by the familiar misery constantly plaguing him when it made more sense for him to feel happy. She was moving forward. She was thinking great things, preparing to do great things, and Tripp was still Tripp. Still working at Churchy's, still trapped in that old house. A funny thought occurred to him then. All this misery was unnecessary. He was tired of not trying. Tired of punishing himself for his gutlessness instead of just doing something, anything. Maddie asked him a question, but he barely heard it. So, Trip, she said, leaning back against one of the wooden posts and crossing her arms. You gonna help me with this or what? I'm going to sell my house, he said, speaking as he thought it, and not really thinking it at all. It felt great. I'm going to sell my house, and I'm going to tell Churchy that he needs a new first mate because I'm moving down to part-time at the hardware store. Maddie laughed. What? For real? She asked. Yes. Where will you live? Don't know yet. Maybe here, somewhere in town? What are you going to do? I mean, with the money or your time off? Travel? Maybe, maybe I'll go to school. 
Help you, of course. That's number one on the list. Maddie hesitated, grinning. She wanted to say something. What? You know, Trip, I think no matter what you do, traveling, school, whatever, you'll learn. You're natural at that, learning. Aren't we all? Trip shrugged. Well, I'm getting to that, she said, holding up a finger. See, that's not the only thing you're natural at. You've taught me so many things over the years, and I think you should broaden your student populace. I think you're also a natural educator. Maybe while you're learning, you could start teaching, too. Tripp frowned. Teaching. He'd never once thought of that. Maddie laughed. What, you've never once thought of that? She asked. He shook his head. Well, maybe you should think about it? He nodded. I will. You're serious? Maddie beamed, unable to contain her joy. Tripp had no idea what he'd study. He had no idea where he'd live. He had no idea if the house would even provide enough funding for the expenses, or if he'd just end up drowning in debt. He had no idea if any of it would be worth it. He did not care. He and Maddie were a team. If she was going to do great things, he would have to do great things by her side. It was all worth it for that. Maddie had been asking him if he was serious. Usually, he replied. Maddie lay awake in the dark of Tripp's living room. Again. She wondered how, after everything that had happened and that had been said that day, she'd somehow ended up here, alone, while Tripp slept upstairs. Not again. She twisted under the afghan, feeling fiery and restless. Freddie, fed up with the constant seismic activity of her perch, had long abandoned Maddie for an empty armchair across the room. Every now and then, her glowing eyes opened to slits whenever Maddie was particularly rambunctious in her fidgeting. It wasn't as if Tripp had banished her to the couch. This was simply routine. He'd say goodnight and go upstairs to his room. But Maddie was almost angry with him for doing exactly that tonight. How dare he go upstairs to his room? Sighing sharply, she sat up and gave in to sleeplessness, She was being sophomoric. It wasn't as if he was required to make a move. It wasn't his obligation. Though when she thought about it, he actually had made a move. Earlier that day in the hospital room as they hid behind the curtain. A subtle move, but a move nonetheless. Perhaps it was her turn. Perhaps he wasn't expecting it. Perhaps he didn't want it. Perhaps he didn't want her. She shook her head vigorously. Perhaps she was just trying to talk herself out of it because she was scared and lazy. Yes, that was it. She tried to pinpoint when it had first happened, when she'd first realized it. A long time ago, certainly. Years. A time when she didn't even think Tripp felt the same. She'd eventually figured it out, though he was very good at hiding it. 
She recalled an exact conversation when she'd been feeling romantically fed up and cynical. It had to have been about three years ago. Maddie had been going through a typical phase in which she would gain interest in someone, then immediately lose said interest, but never soon enough to not break someone's heart. This time it had been some poor, hapless boy she'd met at the library. She was feeling a lot of guilt in those days, but Tripp had been there through it all, never once being the reason for her to feel guilty. He should have. She wondered what it must have been like for him, watching her enter and exit countless relationships. They had chatted across the counter in low tones at Churchy's, near the end of his shift. She'd said something very pessimistic about herself, something she couldn't remember, and Tripp had leaned in, looking at his hands. They did this scientific study once, you know, he said. Psychological study, to be precise. About love. Can that be done? Apparently so. They had two subjects pair up and briefly meet each other. I would imagine they factored in each individual's, uh preferences for these pairings wouldn't make sense otherwise. They took a survey of the subjects then, of their first impressions, to assess their general attraction to each other, which would probably start out rather mild in most cases. Then they had the two meet up again and stare into each other's eyes for 30 minutes. Maddie noted that as he said this, Tripp was looking at everything but her eyes. Complete strangers, mind you, he added. Then the two subjects were instructed to tell each other their deepest secrets. After this, the subjects were assessed on their attraction to each other again. The results the second time around were surprisingly amorous. Each subject felt a strong attraction to their partner after the experiment. Maddie nodded to herself. Isn't that something, she said. Proves what I already knew. What's that? That love isn't nearly as precious and sacred as everyone wants to believe. It's run-of-the-mill, an everyday occurrence. It's why I should ditch long-term relationships. I fall in love with multiple people every day. It just takes a second for it to happen. Strangers catch my eye or my heart or both, and yet the boyfriends and girlfriends never last long, so I give up. She sighed then, fiddling with the hem of her sweater, also avoiding Tripp's eyes. I think I prefer the fleeting, anonymous, contactless love over impossible, monogamous permanence every day. It never amounts to much, but it never disappoints either. And you think that makes it less precious? His eyes finally met hers, and Maddie noticed a shift in his tone. A kind of caring had seeped in. Isn't it just the opposite? Look at yourself. How many lives have you positively touched on a day-to-day basis just because those people looked at someone like you and momentarily felt the thoughts you were sending them? I doubt they felt my thoughts, Trip. Maddie replied, though it didn't sound like her. She did send thoughts, and she did hope others felt them, though her thoughts could be guarded too, as was the case now. She narrowed her eyes. What do you mean, someone like me? Maddie, you are an anomaly, he replied casually, as if it were obvious to everyone but her. The first day you walked into Churchy's, I thought, it's not every day someone like that comes in here. Maddie snorted and realized she felt sheepish. 
Her cheeks were hot. She hoped it wasn't too obvious, but Tripp had fixed his gaze on the cobweb ceiling again as he continued to speak. Imagine, Maddie. How many people's days have you made simply by meeting their gaze? Is that not precious? And if love can be triggered by just two strangers looking into each other's eyes and unloading their secrets, displaying their humanity, is that not sacred? Don't you think that could be beneficial? Hell, forget love. Those scientists could very well have tapped into the secret behind world peace. Maddie laughed again, knowing Tripp was trying to lighten things by being overly dramatic. She knew this because she knew Tripp. He had a point. It was a point she hadn't thought of in her moments of cynicism. But she still wanted to be cynical. I mean, I suppose, she answered finally. But I don't think it would take. It wouldn't catch on enough to solve any problems. Psychological studies in classrooms aren't very romantic and people like romance. Tripp looked back down at his hands and Maddie saw that secret hint of lonesomeness in his posture that he thought no one could see. She could see it. His voice had fallen to nearly a mutter. It doesn't have to be a study in a classroom. That's just how it starts. Everyone has a different definition of romantic. Three years later, as Maddie sat in the dark of Tripp's living room with no company other than his cat... She considered the original reason she gave up on relationships. Was it disinterest? Possibly. Was it indecision? Certainly. But in a way, it was the opposite of indecision. In a way, all other relationships had failed because Maddie had picked Trip long ago without even being aware of it. In the moment, nothing seemed more romantic to Maddie than the simple struggle she and Tripp had been through those past six years of telling each other everything they felt except for that one big thing. In the moment, nothing seemed more romantic to Maddie than marching upstairs, bursting into Tripp's bedroom, and telling him exactly how she felt. She got up, fingers twitching and cheeks hot. The stairs were old, but she knew where the creaky steps were. It didn't matter if he heard her, but Maddie found herself trying not to make a sound anyway. In fact, it became imperative that she not make a sound. Her heart, pounding in her ears, seemed to thwart this effort. She reached the top of the steep staircase and came upon his bedroom door. Tripp's bedroom. Maddie had been in there a handful of times, when he was away at work and she was feeling lonesome and curious. She'd never touched anything, which was unlike her. Had it been anyone else's room, Maddie would have rifled through each drawer, checked every notebook, found any and all scraps of information that person wished to keep secret. But not Tripp's room. Maddie had gone into his room those few times just to see how he'd left it that morning. To take in the scent of his sleep to see the blankets thrown aside, the trail of debris he'd left on the floor as he'd hurried to get ready. Always late. Now, standing in the dark hallway outside his door, Maddie listened. She heard the slightest inhales and exhales, and smiled. She reached for the doorknob and turned it. Or, rather, she tried to turn it. It was locked. 
There was a moment of indignation as she wondered why on earth Tripp would feel the need to lock his door. Was she really that intimidating? Knowing this train of thought would get her nowhere, Maddie stopped herself. He hadn't locked the door to keep her out. He couldn't have. Then Maddie remembered how many years he had spent alone in this big, creaky old house. It could get spooky at night, and by now it was probably out of habit that he locked the door. After all, Maddie was still prone to check closets and peek under beds before she slept. They both had their ingrained fears. She was not about to give up now. If anything, the locked door only increased her determination. Padding back downstairs, Maddie made for the back door. Outside, it was cool. The sounds of the spring evening resonated in Maddie's mind as she stepped over damp grass. Smiling, she heard the bog in the distance, peepers and gulping bullfrogs. The gibbous moon cast just enough light for her to find where she was going. There was a trellis mounted against the side of the house, just under Tripp's window. It was covered in creeping ivy vines and appeared to Maddie's eyes only as a dark stain plastered against the white shingles. It had been there as long as she'd known Tripp, and for the first time, Maddie wondered where that trellis had come from, who had put it there. Surely not Tripp. Perhaps his father. She began to climb. Tripp awoke with a start, to the sound of someone breaking into his room. He immediately transitioned from groggy to alert, and terrified. He considered what he should do next, as scrapings and thumpings emanated from outside his window. Never having been one to point his finger and holler, Stop, intruder! He remained as still as possible, and pretended to stay asleep as he reached under the bed for the massive flashlight he kept for such emergencies. It had never served a purpose until this moment. He wondered if Maddie was okay downstairs, if she even knew this was happening. The intruder's silhouette appeared in the window, smaller than Tripp would have expected, and proceeded to open the screen. Whoever it was, they weren't concerned with stealth, which caused him to wonder if they actually meant any harm. Curiosity overtook fear, and Tripp spoke before he could stop himself. "'Who's there?' he asked in a pointlessly hushed whisper. "'It's me, Tripp,' Maddie grunted as she climbed into his room. Tripp flicked on the flashlight, stunned. "'Maddie, what are you doing?' he sat up, shining the beam at her. She squinted and held a hand up against the light as she stumbled onto his floor. She, like him, was in her pajamas.' Her flannel pants were damp at the hems, and her bare feet were speckled with grass clippings. Really, Trip? Right in my eyes? Oh, sorry. He let the light fall, then wondered why he was apologizing. Why are you... What in the... Is everything okay? I thought you were a burglar. Maddie laughed, making her way to his side of the bed. She took the flashlight out of his hands. Everything's fine, it's just your door was locked. 
She shone the flashlight under her chin and grinned, like a kid at a campfire telling a scary story. Tripp couldn't help but feel slightly intimidated. She was acting odd, the way she acted when she was up to something devious. There's this thing called knocking, you know, he advised. I didn't want to wake you, she tried. Too late for that. Maddie paused, face falling slightly. I, I'm sorry. This is incredibly invasive of me. I'm violating your space. You're right, she said, making for the door. I'm gonna go. No, don't do that, Tripp declared, and she halted. She turned back to him. You want me to stay? She asked. Tripp thought about it, but not for long. Yes, he replied. Then he backpedaled, if only to find out what you're doing. Then she flicked the flashlight off. Now especially nervous, Tripp craved the clarity of the light. He turned to the small lamp on his bedstand, but his fumblings in the dark were in vain. Overzealous to turn the lamp on, he instead knocked it onto the floor. It shattered on the hardwood, and Tripp felt Maddie's weight transfer to the foot of his bed as she dodged the broken ceramic pieces. Whoops, she uttered. Tripp let out a long sigh. That's the third one this month, he said, exaggerating only by one lamp. Maddie chuckled, her voice closer now. It was too dark to tell how close, and she had the only light source, now switched off and hidden in some unknown location. Trip gulped. Small potatoes, Trip, she whispered. Okay, what's going on? He insisted. Why did you break into my room? Because, her voice was very close now. In fact, Trip could feel her warm breath on the tip of his nose. It's about damn time I did. He realized what was happening just before it happened, and it happened just before he could convince himself otherwise. Then all of Tripp's fears and joys mixed into one. And as Maddie kissed Tripp, she could have sworn she felt a smile on his lips or at least a smirk. Down the road in Bloodsworth Bog, the peepers chorused, the fireflies flared like tiny supernovas, and the mockingbird, inspired by all the songs it had ever sung, sang a new song, never before heard.
Ordinary Terrestrials is written, read, and recorded by Miriam Rimkunis. All piano music was written and performed by Jonas Rimkunis. All public domain organ music was performed by John Rimkunis. All other music was written and performed by Miriam Rimkunis. Needless to say, all rights reserved. Tune in next Thursday for the final chapter. The spring peepers heard at the beginning of this chapter were recorded in South Berwick, Maine by Freesound user Bud Gillette. A link to their recording is in the show notes. If you like what you hear, please leave ratings and reviews for Extraordinary Terrestrials on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Libsyn. To get a shout-out from Churchy, you can contribute to the podcast's Patreon, which is linked in the show notes. You can also follow the podcast and tell your friends on Facebook and Twitter, as well as the website, extraordinaryterrestrialspodcast.com. Lastly, go outside! Remember last week when there was that Hurricane Harvey thing? And now there's all that flooding in Houston? And what's more, there's that whole Hurricane Irma thing probably headed for Florida. And as if that weren't enough, there's also those wildfires in the Pacific Northwest. And that's all just in the States. It's almost as if this planet is sick and feverish or something, with all these natural disasters, heavy winds, too much water in some places and not enough in others. Funny how that is. But I digress. What this all boils down to is that a lot of folks are or will be in need of disaster relief in the coming days, which is why it's still a good idea to visit redcross.org and send some funds to those who need it. At the very least, while it's still nice out where you are, go outside! Thanks for listening. (laughs) 